What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondewood, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This episode, we feature musician Jarrett Nicolay, aka The Suburban Hermit. This was a lot of fun as we dove into his past projects that are potentially releasing new music in the Virginia Coalition, what it's like to dedicate yourself to touring so much and combating the evolution of the way people consume music, fostering a creative space that escapes the confines of reality, and having cones for hands. Jarrett is releasing new music through his solo project, The Suburban Hermit. Make sure to go to his YouTube and check out his videos. They're great. I'll have all his links in the show notes. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. My biggest pet peeve is editing because I hate my own voice because I talk and then the other people that I interview talk. They've been getting an hour and a half to two hour conversations and it's a lot to go through and cut out every single um waveform that you can find. For sure. I produce a podcast for these two women the one could put it out just like in real time. Like she doesn't care. But the other one is like super nitpicky about um, like she sends me like a word doc with like every um and every so, which is fine. You know, I, I'm more like her. So it, it kind of works out okay. But it's I know it's tedious. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. I don't think I, I would get to that point. There are some some programs that I've used. There's one called Descript that like automatically sifts through the audio to find those filler words is what they use, which is cool, but they're hard edits. So you can't really like streamline it too well. Sure. Uh, even though I kind of want to, because at, at this point, everybody's on Zoom audio. So does it really matter? Everything drops out so quickly. So that's, that's kind of the other thing that I'm combating with because I'm very much like you and the transcript right? So I'll go through and I spent so much time just trying to learn and figure out what actually sounds good that I don't think that I would want to do this for a living, but I kind of do. I don't know. It's, it, it's a weird thing, right? No, it is weird. It's, you know, it's, it is the mixed bag of like, I do what I love for a living, but that means that, you know, when you're not in the mood for it, it's this weird kind of bittersweet, you know, complicated relationship. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Like you find something that you like, but because you're kind of in control of it, you can choose to just not and choose to just like, you know what? I don't I don't feel like working on this passion project at all. Like if your money's not tied to it and your livelihood's not tied to it, I think that's a little bit different too. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been on both sides of that with the music thing personally. Like I, I toured in a band for 10 years where that's all we did, you know, full time was touring and, and that, you know, that's like a hundred percent your music is tied to your income, which I don't know if that makes the best music. Um, <laughs> it was a great, it's a great experience and we had a great time, but it was, you know, I personally prefer making music that I don't have to rely on people, you know, well, not that people even buy music anymore, but like when people did buy, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's more fun to, to, I kind of treat it more like doing the crossword puzzle and it's like a, a puzzle to solve more than, than some sort of commodity to me. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the hard part when it comes to art is when, when it turns into a commodity, right? When it turns into something that you're changing things to make money. I mean, it's, you know, 
it's a good problem to have. You know, <laughs> some people, some people would, would, most people would probably argue that that would be, it's like some first world problems, but it does come with it, you know, a lot of complicated you know, logistics. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about how you got started with music, if you don't mind, because sure. We we haven't talked before, but I really like. So you sent me the the video of the Star Wars, which is amazing. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that, and it's so prevalent, like in the, irrelevant in this time for like the Mandalorian and stuff like that. So yeah, I I yeah. absolutely love that. And then so you have your new project, which is the Suburban Hermit, I think, right? Yeah, yep. That's yeah. That's essentially just my new way of reframing my solo stuff. Like I I I've always had a solo project and i've always preferred to hide behind a moniker just because i feel like it's uh for me it's better for the the kind of art or for lack of a better word the, you know the music to speak for itself than to have it be you know to have a face mm-hmm. necessarily and like so i don't like to really be in the videos if i make them or thus chewbacca right is the star of the <laughs> right of the last video but you know to me it's like i feel like what the what the band you know in quotes is called colors the, the music um, and if it's your name, it's, you know, it's, you think about the person and I prefer to just think about it as like the, the separating the art and artist kind of. Yeah. Cause it is kind of difficult to have one moniker for all the artistic pursuits that you want. Right. Because then you have that brand in there and you're just like, oh yeah, this guy is nineties rock or this guy is alt J style music. And then you're just like, well, I kind of want to put lo-fi beats out or I kind of want to put like, <laughs> right. a hardcore album out or like this is whatever just what i'm feeling right yep and that was kind of what what ended up happening with the like i used to put out music as my new mixtape and again I, at some point i don't know but i kind of drew a line in the sand on that because i was started i felt like the last i think i sent it to you as well the nothing is real video yeah that was like the last kind of thing that i was doing with the the frame of it being like a my new mixtape song like and to me the suburban hermit moniker is more of like a, a wild card. Like I feel like that is exactly what you were saying where it's that moniker for me, just mentally when I'm working on something is letting me like do anything without thinking, Oh, is this on brand or whatever? Right. You know, it's kind of, again, getting away from that, like, you know, commerce aspect, not that, you know, my solo stuff is, is really just, it is more a passion project in the sense that it's, you know, I don't rely on that for, to pay my bills or anything like that. It's just a compulsion at this point to that. I just keep making music and making songs. I just like making stuff. It, even still, it was still getting a little, like I was feeling a little inside of a box, you know, just to, like, that's probably for more like a therapist couch conversation, <laughs> but, but you know, I just wanted something different to think about as a frame to take the limitations I was putting on myself off the table. That makes total sense. It's something that I've dealt with, with the show where, I don't necessarily want to be just like a music show, but it is such my wheelhouse that I have to just kind of like be careful with it because this is what I like talking about. Mm -hmm. This is where my passion really kind of comes to fruition. But I also want to be able to talk to athletes, novelists, other artists and, and stuff like that, small business owners, where I've sprinkled that in with the show, but it's not like my voice isn't fully there if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And being kind of pigeonholed is something that I, I fear kind of on a daily basis. No, yeah, it's not fun. It's like, especially when you're doing something creative to have, you know, the, the whole point is that you're, it's an escape from the confines of reality, you know, like I, that to me is important on a core level of 
of just being creative and, and it translates into how like because i run a studio is, is kind yeah. of my day job okay it's you know it's my garage but it's converted to a studio but i don't want it to feel like like completely like reality like i don't you know what i mean like i went to some lengths to not have you know the most normal stuff in here just because I, I feel like it's you know it's kind of like if there's weird stuff laying around you're you're gonna likely pick it up and use it for something or like a theremin or uh, yeah whatever and it's a lot of yeah. like you know some of it's not even musical stuff it's just stuff that might make you think a certain way I, to me it's just important to to be in a, a mental space of just like away from the confines of reality you know without having to like take acid or something, <laughs> or something crazy right like you don't want to be like in, you know incapacitated but like you know just something to kind of just turn move the dial a little bit away from you know just normal like it's tuesday at noon like here's what i would be doing otherwise just something something to put you in a creative default setting yeah i know that i definitely work better for the most part just in general when i'm like separated from my house even if it's kind of like what you're describing where it's a distinct kind of room like once you pass the threshold you're in a different space I think that would definitely help to put you in a different mindset to make sure that you're in like creative mode, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because I know that like my computer is right next to my bed. So if I would have just like moved that into another room, possibly, maybe that would be like a, a whole different setup. And I feel like I would be more productive in there. But it it is kind of like that that just small break it doesn't have to be anything crazy because i i definitely know that i go into like a full work mode once i start driving to work too just that that kind of like break from that that home environment or that that regular environment that you're in yeah just helps you focus a little bit too yeah well i think it's also with regards to like driving somewhere like i, I haven't really driven much since yeah. you know the since march i guess and I didn't drive a ton anyway, but like now, I mean, I, you know, it's my car is, I don't know the last time I was at a gas station, but, <laughs> but it's okay. I don't mind that, but you did all your driving on tour, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. We did like a, a tour or two where we were driven around, you know, but the vast majority of our touring was, was self-driving. We would do the two hour shifts, you know? So like if it was your shift, no matter what, you know, if you were hungover or whatever, like you were going to be driving. So you had to kind of account for that. That's a little rough. I've I've done that before. Like I've I've drank all night and then drove to Chicago the next morning and it was not a good time. <laughs> the young man's game. <laughs> yeah, very, very That's, much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at least I wasn't doing that now. Like if I was doing that now, like if I overserved myself at a show, like I like I would be out of commission for like a four days now instead of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. instead of some excedrin and like some Starbucks. Right. Yeah. You can't just take some Pedialyte and keep it going, right? Right. It helps, I guess, but yeah, it's it's definitely a young man's <laughs> situation. But yeah, like so the driving, like we drove a lot, went through many many tour vans, as they would say. But um, so yeah, so you know, but now having not had the opportunity to to just get in the car a couple times a week, like I look forward to going to the grocery store and like being in my car and listening to mixes that I'm working on, like in a because that's always the cliche place you have to check your mix, you know your song if it doesn't sound good in the car you got to go back to the the drawing board right so to me right. i've done i've done more sitting in my driveway in my car listening to mixes than i have <laughs> actually driving my car anywhere but it I still can, helps i can actually like imagine that like vision it because i've done that same thing like i i've i've definitely taken a show 
that I've been working on. And this, this happened when I, I was first doing it, but I would test it out on my phone, on my speakers, and then in the car. And the car was always the, if it wasn't sounding good in there, it wasn't sounding good anywhere. Yeah, it's it's weird. They, they, there's something, I think it's like the, just the acoustics in the car. There's something about it. And I don't know if it's going to still be, a, you know, I feel like the phone is making uh, the argument of being the, the most important place to, to make something sound good, you know, because more people are, for better or for worse, listening to stuff on their phone speakers than they are in a car or on anything sort of quality. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the only thing that they have that's like a constant for the most part, right? right? Yep. To your point earlier, a lot of people don't have the 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 newer phones. So sixes and fives, you have to kind of think about the degrading of speakers too, maybe. Yeah. Oh no. And my phone has not, not had the best life. It's like, it's, you know, again, <laughs> checking mixes that are too hot, like on a, on a iPhone six is not, it's not happy about that. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> enjoy being distorted and overdriven. But that might be the new thing, man. Like distorted phone mix. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. You could definitely do like what you kind of said with your your uh, studio. You know, you're putting in different different stuff in there to get different ideas. But that's something that you could just sample that over and over. So it's like complete static. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea. So yeah, let's let's go back because I do want to talk about your touring life. I want to talk about your studio, and then I want to talk about the the projects that you have. Yeah, yeah, cool. Let's go back. How did you get involved with music? I was probably you know twelve or thirteen. And my father had a nylon string guitar. And, you know, it's probably the very super common story. It was just this guitar that was just sitting in the room. And yeah, for, for whatever reason, I decided to, to pick it up. And, you know, there was no internet back then. So there was this, this thing called being bored that <laughs> doesn't happen as much anymore. So I guess I was super bored and just picked up this guitar. And there was an immediate kind of fascination with it. You know, I didn't really know how to tune it or anything like that. And I was kind of self-conscious of what the sounds I was making with it. So I would kind of just steal it away and, you know, to the basement or wherever I, I could mess with it and not be heard or judged, or, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And then at some point, my dad told me how to tune it and taught me a few chords. And then I think within like, no slight to him, he's, he's, he's got his, his guitar moments, but um, I think I, you know, within like a month or two, I was better than him, which <laughs> Because, you know, when you're a kid, you have a lot of free time. Like, yeah, you had to go yeah. to work. And, you know, he was past his his, his prime of guitar. And, uh, you know, so that was that was my first goal. Get better than dad. That's fantastic. Because you don't have, like, all the video games that we have out now, right? I mean, we yeah, we had, like, I think the the the, the, the first NES and right. was what I was working with. Yeah, you guess you know, no, no complaints. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But, uh, and, but there was, conversely, there was no internet to help you learn guitar. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <the> other, so <laughs> it's kind of a mixed bag there. That's that's funny. As a, as someone that owns a studio, are you recording other musicians too? Yeah, that's predominantly what I do. Right. I mean, that's like, um, and, and I'm fortunate in the sense that at least, especially um, since the pandemic, it's been nice to, you know, in the first few months, I didn't do any sessions, obviously, like it was just, you know, wait and see kind of a, a situation. Yeah. But I was doing a lot of remote work where, um, do you know Mike Scoglio? The name sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. He's, he's a kind of a session bass player around town, but he writes songs and his, we were working on his, on his solo album because he could record the vocals at his house and then would send me the, the, you know, the, the vocals and then I would kind of fill them out and then we kind of would go back and forth. And it was a really great kind of lemonade to the, you know, the lemons that was March, April and May. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. 
you know, trying to try to keep it colorful. So yeah, so I mean, predominantly what happens here is other people's stuff. I, I do my own stuff in the little windows where I'm not working for other people. Have you thought about that experience that you had with the guitar? Does that do you think that translates at all to any of the kids coming up now? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think less so in the sense that that the two, like we were just saying, like that there is so much other stuff to do in general, music and not music. I mean, guitar is now just like, I mean, I feel like a laptop is a musical instrument more right. than a guitar is maybe more like five years ago. I feel like the guitar is kind of Fender's figured out, or Squire, I guess has figured out a way to kind of make guitars cool again. And I think that's great. I, but I'm not like a, uh, like a Dave Grohl kind of like, you know, computers are bad. Like, you know, <laughs> like I think, I think it's, and again, that's like why limit yourself. Like, I think it's all good if it's good. I think there's, there's terrible garage rock and there's terrible EDM and there's great of both of those as well. You know, it's like there's to put rules on rock and roll is very on rock and roll. Right. Dave Grohl. <laughs> but, uh, I like that. I don't know why he, he, he bugs me so much with his, like, get off. It's so get off my lawn. His whole vibe of like, if it didn't happen in a, I mean, I, you know, I think he's done wonders for music and, and the scene and all that. But like, I think that that's a huge oversight on his part of the whole kind of like garage rock ethos that it has to be this, you know, if you couldn't have done it that way in 1970, it's not valid or something. <laughs> right. Right. But I, I, I do think it's interesting to your point, like the laptop is an instrument, right? Like there's, there's, I think that's kind of the, the gateway into music that more people have now than just picking up a guitar because there's not much else that can happen for you. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's so many different avenues to appease boredom right now. I always thought that was an interesting story. Like you see the, just the generation gaps. Most of the people that I talk to, they just, they, they had their, their parent to look up to and just like, or found found a random guitar in the house and they're just like, you know what? That looks cool. I have fuck all going on. Let me go ahead and and play this and see what happens. Yeah. Like to your point too, you don't have the resources to learn. So how did you actually figure some stuff out outside of your dad? Um I think and, and I, I don't I don't say this to to brag. I, I say this to almost like a self-deprecating way. Like I think it came easy to me. Like on a, on a level, like my ear was always pretty good. Okay. So I could hear stuff. And I think, cause if it didn't, I don't think I would have stuck with it. I think I would have been <laughs> like, this is hard. Like, I mean, it wasn't like, I, you know, I didn't just like wake up the next morning and could play a bunch of guitar, but like, I, I remember listening in particular to like Buddy Holly records because you could hear the guitar really loud in, in the mix. Cause there wasn't much going on and there wasn't any real production. It was just kind of, kind of like a jazz record almost where you could just kind of like hear the performance rock was in such as you know an infancy right that you could just hear like you could i just remember like realizing oh that's a that's a d chord i can hear that that's a d chord because of the way the notes are stacked up that's interesting i like that and then it just became like kind of a you know a vocabulary where where you can progress to like a different a more sophisticated version of that with the knowledge of like the buddy holly kind of like three and four chord songs and then you can progress to like something that's a little more sophisticated and, and hopefully bridge that gap and start kind of figuring out what chords are going on there, what the bass line is doing. Or, right. I mean, it was really just a lot of trial and error too. I like it. I have I started learning guitar a couple of years ago and uh, I, have, I have not kept with it. I've tried doing lessons and like there's a couple interactive apps that are out there, which is, are, are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. To make it a little bit more Guitar Hero-esque is kind sure. of what they, they're going for. 
So it's it's interesting the the just the different kind of learning patterns that we all have. I think what's kind of cool for you and it's very important for what you do, if you don't have a good ear, like you wouldn't be able to do really any of the stuff that you're doing. So you wouldn't be able to like help other musicians with the recording either. Right. Have you developed more of an ear? Like have you been able to fine tune it at all? I think maybe that came through my, cause I immediately, as soon as I was playing a guitar, like my dad's, you know, you know, nylon string guitar that was held together with like bolts, you know, like my cat <laughs> jumped off. It was, I remember the guitar was sitting on a rocking chair and the cat jumped off the chair, launched the guitar the other direction and it just burst into pieces. Oh no. The next day, like my dad had it like super glued and bolted back together and like, it never was quite the same, but you know, it still played. So, you know, props to him. Yeah, so I remember as soon as like getting past that initial phase, I was very interested in recording from an early, early age, but it was more like Radio Shack, you know, like yeah. I had a mixer and two tape decks and we'd go back and forth just adding an instrument. You'd have to tune to the speed of each tape each time because they were a little bit different. And looking back on it, 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 I don't know how I had the patience to do it. But again, it was, <laughs> you know, yeah. we used to have patience and stuff. So right, was, right. I don't, didn't know any better. Not everything was uh, immediate gratification. Right. I mean, like the fact that you can just go into a garage band and like now your song has drums. Like, I mean, it's like that to me, I will never not appreciate or or understand the, the, the kind of value in that. I like it. Do you do you find now that that kind of baseline helps you finding more technology to where you can see, okay, I know what the organic sounds are. I know how they feel how do I translate into a little format with that when I'm recording, producing or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, whatever song I'm working on, I want there to be like one thing, even if it's just like something super subtle, like, like a delay on a tambourine, just whatever it is, just one thing that, and I'm sure that's impossible because there's so many songs that have been <laughs> recorded and stuff, but like just one thing that's, that is a little bit unique about it or, or hopefully completely unique, but at least, just something that isn't expected, but not jarring. Like just try to have at least one thing in, in every kind of, cause some songs are obvious how you're supposed to kind of treat them. It's like, this is a country song with, you right. know, it's with a train shuffle beat, like, you know what, and a bass is going to go one five. And it's like, cause I feel like every kind of song we've kind of have like a great version of that already. It's like, it, so to, to take tradition and push it forward, like the, the hybrid of, of like a traditional approach but also admitting that we do have GarageBand and the internet. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, like t- to me, it's like, I like the, I, lo- I get excited at that kind of like the, the intersection of organic and, and artificial. Yeah. I think that's the, that generation is going away a little bit to where the ones that like knew what it was before internet. So having that organic meet artificial, I think is still, a very important thing and I'm I'm hoping in the future that still happens. You know, you hear you hear about all these people that are are making music in their in their rooms and are able to fully produce records just with the software that they're in. But I don't know if that takes away from any of the performance, the ambiance, the feel of it. Yeah. It is such a thing where you have to try to make those digital sounds organic. People and also to make them unique to you. It's like, I mean, I feel like it's so easy to just pull up 
you know, GarageBand or whatever. I, I work in Pro Tools, which is a little bit more like it's a digital version of an analog setup. Yeah. You know, there's plugins that you can use that, that turn it quickly into a digital playground at the drop of a hat. But but and I have and enjoy those as well. But I, I do I do like the Pro Tools interface in the sense that it is rooted kind of more in the traditional signal flow and stuff like that. And then you can then augment that with the future, you know, or the or the present, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever used a plugin with the stock setting, you know, like it's, I don't, and I don't know if it's that I just need to put my mark on it or if it's, I'm hearing something that isn't optimized about it because it was obviously programmed that way for a reason to be the default setting. But right. It's, it doesn't even occur to me to leave it there. I like that. I like that because then you're always kind of like pushing the boundaries a little bit. Yeah. I don't want anyone to be listening to a song of mine to be able to be like, Oh, well that's this loop from logic. Right. It's, you know, I know exactly what pad that is. Like, I, you know, I want to throw people off the trail a little bit. And just because it's fun to be creative and see if you can make it better. And sometimes you make it worse, then you got to go back. And, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the fun part, too. Yeah. You were talking about recording with Radio Shack equipment. So I assume like a tape deck and stuff like that, right? Yeah, it was two. I had two like kind of boom boxes. And the piece de resistance of the second boombox was that both decks recorded. Nice. <laughs> which, which was, you know, it seems like you would take that for granted now, but like, it was the only boombox that I was ever aware of that both decks you could record at the same time. Like, cause usually you'd have your play deck and your record deck. So you could dub a play, you could play it off of one and record onto the other, but this, you could record twice. And the reason I figured out early on that if you synced them up and you recorded both at the same time and then played them back at the same time, it was like flanging and chorus, depending on how far apart you hit play on them oh yeah yeah so i would record things mixes into the both tape decks and play them both back and then then you know because it was a crappy boom box anyway the speeds change a little bit and they get a little more out of sync and like and it just and then if you like panned the, it was just it just opened my eyes to like the the world of like sound manipulation and you know that's where i think i really got hooked on on audio and and just bending kind of reality a little bit yeah and then you know got into like the beatles like the, the psychedelic Beatles stuff you know and just all weirder music in general like from the more organic stuff yeah so i lost my hearing from the right side about nine almost 10 years ago now but one of the things that when i was growing up that that caught me sonically is funny enough the foo fighters um they have a song called hey johnny park off of uh the color and the shape and it was that panning from left to right that when I first heard it hooked me completely, which is silly because it it's very much like just a, a rock and roll song, right? Right. Yeah. But they do something like what you were talking about, just slightly different that hooked me with that sound. And now I'm just disappointed that I can't hear that again because my right side just doesn't work. Are you completely out on the right side? Like you got nothing? Yeah, it's tinnitus on the right side. Okay. So everything just phases out completely and it's just this high pitch frequency that just yeah. jams yeah, everything. No. Sorry to hear that, man. That's that's yeah, that's not that's not fun. No, it's not. But like with that experience with the the dual tape deck of, of panning, of figuring shit out, and just that little piece for me hooked me into just like different sounds and different ways that you can approach stuff and then like realizing, oh, I can actually move the whole sound to the right channel. Or I can move the whole sound to the left channel, or I can just move this one guitar part. Yeah. That was eye-opening for me because I, I don't think I heard it to that extent at that point. 
And it was funny enough in my car when I heard that, because I think the experience is different when you have that closed space and you have those speakers like really kind of aligned to you almost in the right way. Yeah. When you're mixing audio, you're, you're supposed to create, at least this is one way to do it, where you create a, like a right triangle between you and the two speakers. There's like a, a golden ratio there. Right. And yes, yeah, it's, it's usually important because if you have, if you're, if you're stereo field, like, cause they have like plugins, you know, that you can use in the software where you can enhance the stereo, like to make it, it's like a widener that makes it sound even like wider. And that's part of like you master something like you can, you can make it sound just wider, AKA bigger. And, but if you, but, but you can run into like phasing issues. So you have to be careful with that stuff, but panning is such an underrated thing. You know, it's like, it's, it's an old school thing, uh, you know, technique, but it's, it's hugely important. And, and, you know, it's like the drum, like when you mix drums, there's like two schools that you mix the drums from, like if it's an acoustic drum set, like do you mix the drums like they visually appear mm-hmm. from the crowd perspective or from the drummer's perspective? Like it's all this stuff you think about, like, like does the hi-hat go on the left side or the right side? Like, you know, it's, it's yeah. very interesting. Or does it go in the middle? Because, you know, sometimes to me, it's like I went for years where I would just mix the drums however I thought it sounded coolest, not not like visually like a drum right, set right Mo- mostly on my own stuff because you know i could just do whatever i wanted and then <laughs> no one else was going to get hurt <laughs> if it right. <laughs> was terrible. but you know when i'm doing mixing for other people and stuff especially like an organic like more rock band kind of a thing i definitely i mix from the drummer's perspective for whatever reason like it's not the crowd perspective that's interesting i i, I like that i never would have thought about that and i don't know why i guess because when you're at a show you know, sound is is mostly coming from you at all angles. Oh yeah. So you don't really think about that. And then when you're doing, when you're listening to a recording, it's balanced whatever way that you know the producer or the artist wants you to have it that way. Yep. So yep. I I don't think I would have ever thought about that perspective. Now, when when you started recording your music and stuff like that, when when did you? become or when did you start looking to fill out as a band too or was that something that you even thought about while you were uh, making music well I mean I, I to me it was like I was I was happy to be like you know mad scientist just yeah. in my yeah, parents yeah. basement just making sounds and I had a job in I guess I don't know 10th grade or 9th grade or so it was I had a job fairly early on so I had some money and no rent, obviously. And so I, I amassed, uh, I had a 24 track ADAT studio, which I don't know if anyone even knows what ADATs are anymore, but they, it was this for like, I don't know, five years. Uh, it was like the kind of the new technology uh-huh. pre like internet, you know, or sorry, laptop. Okay. You used high def video cassettes. Uh, oh, interesting. And, okay. Cause they can probably capture more information. Yeah. So each video cassette you, was an eight track recorder so but you could get up to three of them so you, and they would sync together with these crazy cables and it was just like again like i don't know how like now my brain would be like no thanks like, it was just so much work <laughs> completely ridiculous so i had a 24 track i had three of these adats and a you know 24 track mixing board and i would just kind of make these try to make full band recordings myself mm-hmm. you know play all the instruments myself and you know i've gotten a little better at, at that you know since then because that was a long time ago but 
you know, drums were always super hard. Cause like I didn't, back then I didn't know what compression was. I didn't know any, like oh, I, didn't, yeah, I was, okay. I had no, again, no internet. I had no idea what I was doing. So it was just really just like kind of walking around a, a dark cave, figuring stuff out for myself, which was great because there wasn't anything else to do, you know? Yeah. And it gave me a, a unique perspective on production that I think I've hopefully, the goal is that I've hopefully taken that spark and then learned a bunch of stuff to modify that yeah. perspective. Yeah. To make it more like good <laughs> now, <laughs> hopefully that's, that's, that's what I'm telling myself. I think that works out, but I do, I do like that. I think what's funny to me is kind of like what you just said when it comes to technology now is that you would look at that is was it eight that ADAT ADAT okay so yeah. you would look at that ADAT and just be like nah I got a computer like I'm not yeah. dealing with any of those cables there's nothing about this that I want in my life I think it's just interesting like the evolution of it and and seeing stuff like my whole life is easier now but I don't remember phone numbers, right? Right. Oh, yeah. It's interesting how that, that works. And you can see, I think in your case too, you, you actually see the full evolution of technology throughout the, the last few decades, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's just exponential too, you know? Like, I think we'll be okay as long as the internet doesn't leave. You know, if, <laughs> if, if, if that happens, we're all, we're all screwed. But like, then it's going to be like, yeah, you're right. Like, like what's your phone number? What? Right, what right, right. How do I reach you? <laughs> and again, it's like the get off my lawn perspective, but we used to definitely be smarter on, on, on like a base level of like survival, you know, and, and how to like the fact that at whatever age I was, you know, 16 figured out how to get a 24 track studio in my parents' basement. Like, I, like, I don't think I could do that right now. <laughs> too, you know, like that would be, I mean, I guess, you know, I have done that because I, but it's so much easier now, but to, right, with, right. With, the, with that, with those limitations, there's no way I would have, would have had the, the know-how or the, the, just the drive or the commitment or the follow through to do that. I think that's the, the other part about it is the, the commitment and the drive to just do it. But also I, I think it's more of just what's at your fingertips at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's really an age thing. I think it's really oh, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I found that hooks me and hooks my interest. But I only have these certain tools around me at the moment. And hopefully your tool bag increases over time. Right. And you, you throw away the obsolete tools. But just that experience of that 8-DAT and that 24-track tape monstrosity that you're talking about, I don't know where I would start with that for sure <laughs> at all. Yeah. And just cutting to tape is, is wild to me. Yeah. It's in, in the band I played in the band I toured in full time with for like that better part of a decade it was called Virginia coalition. Okay. We were the DC band. Um, we were, we weren't home often. Like we probably played like two shows in DC a year. Cause we were just, we have to make those shows special. So we have to be gone all the time. And that was kind of what initiated our, our just incessant touring and van killing. <laughs> yeah. So like when, like the first record we, we did, we, we did it on that system and we started it in my parents' basement. We quickly found some success with like playing shows and touring. And we were like, okay, well, let's, we should give this a go. So we got a band house, like rented a band house and moved the studio there and like literally made the first record in the basement of a band house. And then subsequent albums we made in you know, like legit studios, but the first record, and it, you know, it sounds like we made it in our basement, but it's, it's kind of, it's, there's some charm in there uh, just because it was the first record and, 
And, uh, you know, again, but we did it with, with like no compression, no, like no real gear, just aside from the board and these ridiculous tape recorders. That, that would have to have been an experience for everybody, right? Yes. Well, I remember it was when we were mixing the record, I, you know, me and there was like another guy who had done some recording in the band. The majority of us didn't have any idea what we were doing, making recorded music. And I remember when we were mixing, we each would be responsible for like four faders on the soundboard because you had to mix it in real time back then. Like you couldn't oh, wow. just automate stuff. It was a performance, like mixing it was, you know, you had to perform your faders. Like, so if you were like working the drums, you would have to mute them at the right spots. And, you know, because you couldn't, you know, it wasn't like you couldn't click and drag anything, you know, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would be doing these mixes where like one guy would mess up like the guitar solo, but like he wouldn't get it up in time. And we'd be like, oh man, we got to start over at the beginning. Like, and it was just this thing where it's like being that each mix was a performance, whatever mix ended up being on that record was like that moment in time. Right. That's exactly how all of our hand movements made it sound and all the knob turning that was in real time. Like, so there's something special about that. I don't think it yields better sounding music necessarily, but there is like a romance to that that I think is, it's not that it's lost now, but it's like, it's just different. What I would equate to that now would be like the modular synthesizers mm -hmm. where For sure. you, you can't repeat anything because it's yep. always that, that different combination that's in there. You can tweak one thing and now the whole signal is completely different and it is insane. I have no idea how anybody keeps track of anything with that, but I figure that they don't and they just plug things in and hope for the best. I think it's, I think that's what it, well, I'm sure you'll get some, some emails if we're wrong about this. Cause that's a, that's a community that you don't want to upset the modular synth crew, but they, there's the whole, it's like rap. It's like, there's the West coast and the East coast yeah. synth people. It's like the modular synth. There's like the Buchla people. And then there's the Moog or Moog people. And that would be a, a battle. I would like to see like just really angry synth. Freaks. <laughs> fighting about which synthesizer <laughs> process is more organic. But yeah, I mean the, the, so the West coast people and I'm, I'm generalizing and sure. oversimplifying, but like sure. they don't use like musical keyboards. They just, it's just knobs and stuff. I don't understand it firstly. And I won't because it looks like just a mess. Like yeah. there's, it just looks like a, you're legitimately walking into a spider web or at least like a, a, a science lab. Yeah. Yeah. It is the nerdiest part of music right now. <laughs> it is. It is the nerdiest part of music. And uh, if anybody listens to this and wants to email me, let's talk. I'll, I'll, Bring I'll, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. It is. You're a nerd and I don't mind it, but it's just it's so much. That is the only thing that I can equate to that moment in time that you're talking about. Right, where you can't get it back, where you can never do it exactly the same. And that does make it special. I think that's kind of lost now at the moment, but that that idea of just capturing that one moment and like live records are, are a good point of that, right? Absolutely. So it's it's very cool. So the Virginia Coalition, I remember like what you said, just never being around because I think I've only, <laughs> I think I remember only seeing a couple uh, posters here and there around town for shows. Was that a conscious decision for you guys to really make those hometown shows special, special? Yeah, for sure. Also, we knew that it's better if, if people didn't see too much of us. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, you wouldn't get old if, if people didn't. Yeah. You wouldn't, they wouldn't get annoyed with you as, as quickly. But 
No, but, but like we we definitely had a, a conscious decision early on to to make because we like our place was that like we would play the nine thirty club. Right. Okay. But it wasn't like we could play it without sweating. Like we, you know, we would sell it out and it was amazing. And it was like completely surreal experience playing that club to a sold out crowd. And it's uh, on my list of, you know, rock and roll achievements. It's yeah, definitely it's sure. definitely up there with just like, wow, that's, that we did that multiple for, you know, for years on end. And uh, we knew that if we oversaturated and played here too much that we would risk, we couldn't do like three sold out nights. It was like, we, we were pretty much like a good for like a one night of a sellout show there. Yeah. So we didn't want to rock the boat. We didn't want to like overplay our hand. So it drove us to then get out of town a lot, but it was this catch 22 of like, we can't really get jobs because we are playing so much. So we had to just play more. And then, but then the more you play, the more expenses you have. Cause like your van will break down, you know, our van broke down in Nashville and, or like outside of Nashville, we had to like, find a flatbed truck. I mean, like we got really good at like problem solving on the road. <laughs> yeah, that survivability again, like, part. Yeah. Yeah. We had like, like, in our early days, like I think one of us had a cell phone, <laughs> like our tour manager would make, would print off like MapQuest sheets of like directions for the whole tour. We call it like the, the, the road book, I think. And it was just crazy. Like if you lost the road book on the road, <laughs> you were, you know, you're, you live here now. Like you're not gonna, you're done. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> It is a vicious cycle, isn't it? No, it was. Pouring money and then getting money and then pouring money back in. And we were lucky. Like our music was 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 a genre that that translated pretty good to like the college circuit. So we could play a lot of like student like events at different universities. And so that was a lot of it. And those those pay or at least they did back then. I don't, I assume that once things return to normal, that, that that still is a thing that happens. But that was a nice little kind of shot in the arm if you had a tour you know, of like venues and markets where you didn't have like ton of people. Right. If you played the university, that was really helpful. The uh, comedians talk about college tours a lot too and mm-hmm. how sure. that is such a lucrative thing that they can like make their whole weekend for that. Yeah. But it is definitely a different animal than your regular show because these kids are can be rowdy if they want to be. Right. And I think we were always okay with that it is kind of fun to let it just be visceral and and you know again that's a young man's game it's like the just like the driving all the time it was or being hung over and driving all the time being you know because we wouldn't do a ton of frat parties but like yeah occasionally like we would do like an outside kind of like where things would get where you'd be like oh man this is getting a little bit out of hand but right but it's kind of fun like because you're kind of at the eye of the storm when you're playing the show where you can kind of like observe it almost like out of body yeah that that's a good a good description for it so yeah i mean you know it was definitely an experience that that i'm really thankful to have had just from every aspect of it just that like like i was saying like the problem solving of having pre-internet your your van is broken and you are a thousand miles from your house what do you do that's a pretty harrowing experience because you can't just pull up youtube and be like oh yeah i can fix this part or i can replace this tire right I don't know how people survived the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Or I guess the early 2000s. I think most people stayed home in the early 2000s. They had more TV. More so. Well, and, and that also ties into like the fact that there was only three channels of TV or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, which I think made for a better system. Like everyone watched the same shows. Like they had stuff to talk about that wasn't politics. Right. Which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you you don't want to you want to have that common ground. You don't want to be divisive right off the bat. Yeah, I want to talk about what happened on Cheers. Not 
Like that was a show in the nineties. Yeah, who who was that? Uh, Clinton at that point or Reagan? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Times constant. Yeah, Clinton. I think it was Clinton. Well, maybe I don't know. It was probably Reagan when Cheers was on. Yeah. So to your point, I'd rather talk about you know this bar that's on TV rather than you know someone being barred to practice law or something. You know. So yeah, well, there's a time and a place for everything, but but I think that. Not to get too off topic or, or, or heavy about it, but like I think some would argue that it's the golden age of like you know television in the sense of like Netflix and you know right. all these amazing shows that are on. And I agree, but there's so much great stuff that there's nothing that's like aside from like Game of Thrones or like maybe The Mandalorian. Like there's nothing that everybody just can can weigh in on because like everyone has their own little specialized stream of of things that they would watch or or marketed to. So that the I think as as a greater societal symptom, it's like that 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 is not a good thing. I think that's an interesting point, and it actually kind of goes into your individual work uh, as a musician and just like my work as a podcaster and and just overall like that niche. You can find your niche a lot easier, I feel like, but it is also very difficult to differentiate yourself from the crowd. Yeah. Kind of like what you were talking about earlier, where you you don't want to use just the stock plugin for anything. You want to be able to differentiate slightly or to a grander scale just to make sure that you're putting your own stamp on it. And that's that's such a hard thing to do. And I think it is easier to find your community now because the internet is there. For sure. And you have a bigger reach. But it's also like shouting into the void a lot. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's also it legitimizes things that that shouldn't necessarily be legitimized. There's like, I think anyone can easily find their, their viewpoint on any topic, no matter how unfounded in facts or reality it is, can find it justified and legitimized many times over on, on the internet, which is very dangerous because then it becomes this, you know, feedback loop of, of, you know, untruths or whatever it is, but it's just sub realities that are kind of coexisting everywhere now, you know, where it's like, Cause that's kind of like in that, in the last, my new mixtape song that nothing is real is the name mm-hmm. of the song. That's kind of, that's kind of what I was trying to, you know, suss through in my head was just like how to turn that kind of a concern or a concept into a three minute song. But, but, uh, that, you know, in the sense that everything is real. So nothing is real because there's competing realities that, that are just coexisting all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That validation can be, a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. It depends on the uh, depends on what you're validating. Yeah, but then but then who's to say? You know, who's to who's to? There's no validation police. Right, but that that echo chamber that you're talking about can definitely be a good thing and a bad thing, and that's that right there is is just like the multiplication of, of your voice when you find like a, another common thread just anywhere out in the world now. Man, that that is such a dangerous precedent. It also feels good. Like it also feels good when you have an audience and you have someone that wants to listen, that you have that piece in there. And like what you were kind of talking about, you know, you you kind of keep them in the back of your mind as far as, okay, I'm writing music. I know that most music has already been done before. It's only 12 notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's the that that right there is is difficult to find your own voice with it. I don't know. It, it's just it's it's so hard. I think now, even with 
the accessibility of the internet to still get your voice heard. But once it's validated, it just feels so good and you can just hook on it. Like you can just hang on it. And now you you have this piece and you're always chasing that satisf- satisfaction or that validation, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, there's definitely the dopamine rush of uh, someone like my post or, or, you right. know, or, or someone like there's an app that you can, you can like check to see if anyone is currently listening to you on Spotify. Like that is to me the, the weirdest thing. Cause like, I, you know, but yeah, you like look at it, like I'll click on that because the app icon looks a lot like the Spotify app mm, icon. So I'll okay. click the wrong thing sometimes. And then I'll be like, all right. And then you'll see like two people are listening to you or something. You're like, well, I guess that's good. Like, you know, out of every, everything, you know, there's like every Beatles record, there's, you know, there's the, the entire universe of human music on Spotify. Like the fact that someone's listening to me at all is pretty impressive. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely weird and it's a mixed bag and it's, I think it can be awesome and it can be terrible and frightening <laughs> at the, in the same breath. I think that sums up the world, right? That Yeah. That's- <laughs> yeah. When when did you decide to uh, make your more individual music from the Virginia Coalition? In Virginia Coalition, we all, or like most of us, were, were songwriters. Okay. In the early days, it was a lot of like, we would be just down in the basement and we would have riffs and like we had two lead singers. We all sang like backups and stuff like that. We had two predominant, you know, two main singers. So lyrically, they were doing most of the writing, like, you know, 90%, 80% of the writing lyrically, but musically, we, it was just very organic. We would just jam and things would come off of a, you know, a guitar riff or a bass line or something, or, you know, mm-hmm. keys or whatever, whatever it was, we would just, we would just chase any idea down. And then it would just, it was strangely easy. We just, you know, kind of just amassed an album's worth of material and, and, you know, for many albums, I think we have like five albums mm-hmm. and it got less, organic in the sense that we lived in like a chest of drawers at the band house. Like we were like elves or something, you know, like you just like wake up, <laughs> go downstairs. It was like super cliche. And you yeah, know. yeah. yeah, And then once you, know, you get older and you start having your own life. And, and so then writing became more of like a Nashville style of where you can kind of like, you know, you have a record that you need to make. So you're going to write songs. And, and I think that both are fascinating and fun processes, but it, it definitely like it kind of like the, the process of being in a band, at least with us kind of matured in that, for lack of a better word, into that kind of a thing. But since we all were writing songs, we as a band evolved to have a a particular kind of sound. Mm -hmm. I realized that I was writing a fair amount of music that didn't really fit that sound. There's a couple of examples where the songs I, you know, kind of became Virginia Coalition songs, and I think they're great, and I really enjoy them. But then, like, I think it hit a a threshold with me where I was like, like, I I don't think it's going to, do either of us any favors if I if I square peg my ideas through this existing ecosystem. Right. We're actually doing a new EP right now. Not some new music for the first time in a long time. Very cool. And it's great. It's it's super like we've had some time off with the pandemic. It's like we, we found a cool way to work together safely. And you know, it's 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 great. And it's been really fun. And it's almost kind of felt like more like the early day. It's almost like starting over, which has been really fun. Long story short is that that I just started amassing all these songs for either that they didn't fit the the mold of, of what we were doing or that I didn't think they were good enough for like a legitimate band. So I just would keep them in a iTunes folder that was just called My New Mixtape. I like it. It was literally just what I called the songs that didn't have a home. So then it just became the thing. Okay, that's great. Now, you were talking about how you 
got with Virginia Coalition and then almost immediately like moved in? Well, we all knew each other. We were all high school okay. knuckleheads. Like we, we all were, I think we spanned like three or four years of our same high school. Sure. Me and like one of the singers, like we're in like the kind of older, we were like a year older than everybody. And then, so yeah, so we all, we weren't like in the same, like we wouldn't have all hung out like as a gang in high school necessarily, but we all knew who each other was. Right. I think we all did come from kind of slightly different social circles. So when we would have shows, the gravity of like all of our different circles of friends made it seem more like a show early on. And then that kind of like, kind of became its own entity, like, uh, like its own little gravity of its own, which was helpful. But yeah, so we knew each other forever and we became very, you know, inseparable and great friends and, and 24 seven, we were just in a band. Well, I think, I think that's also interesting just for the future, right? Is that kind of maturation that you're talking about where, you know, you, you start a band and like the legitimately the dream is to live with your band and just make music all day. I feel like that's most everybody's dream. It's at least the first dream. Right. It's like the first, right. It's the first phase. Phase one. Right. To, to have fun, to, to be with your friends and, and to make kick-ass music for the most part. I think that's kind of like the, the idealized version of that. For sure. And to probably like make money off of it. I think that's the other part of it. Or to not, to not, not make money. Like, cause right. we, I think we always were pretty realistic about, you know, the expectations financially and like, cause it was like the, the 1% thing. It's like, if you, if you crossed over to the next level, then, you know, and, and we were kind of, we straddled that line. Cause what ultimately what made us stop touring was, was like iTunes because like we make money from the shows, like ticket sales, but we would, you know, half of our nightly income would be merch. Right. Okay. And then really over the course of like a year, I can't remember what year it was, but iTunes came in and like literally nobody bought CDs anymore. So then it became like a whole different business model. And that's where, you know, that's where we kind of had to think about the permanent, you know, touring. Not that we could have kept doing that anyway, because it's like, you know, you start having relationships and then you get married and you have a kid, right. you know, you don't right. want to be gone all the time anyway, but like, just from a financial situation kind of forced the issue or at least forced us to think about like, is this still worth it versus the effort and the, the, the work that it requires. And now coming back, you know, from a pandemic and, and working on that EP that you mentioned, that's got to feel super fresh and just kind of like rekindling, like what you were kind of talking about. Right. Absolutely. And it's fun because like before we, became like a, a like a touring machine like where we were, <laughs> were became obvious what people's roles were in the band like in the early days you just kind of did stuff like because we all played multiple instruments and it was you know there's a lot of just you do it or this or that it was just very like i said organic and, it, and it's it's definitely back to that kind of like you know there's not like hard and fast rules about who should do what and it's it's a lot of fun for sure i like that does that translate to your independent music too that just like that having fun, being able to be a creative outlet and just enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know why I still make music for myself. Like it really is like, <laughs> it, it is almost like the newspaper keeps coming and I keep doing the crossword. It's like, I just, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't, I don't know why there's no, there's no logical answer to that question. I just enjoy it so much. Like, like I think I said it before, I just like making stuff. Like I could sit there and just scroll through Instagram for hours and you know kind of avo- avoid reality but i feel like making music for me is like a guilt free way of avoiding reality it's maybe even mentally like just a healthy way to spend 3 hours where you're just kind of in in this kind of quantum state you know 
Yeah, I've I felt recently that I do a lot of watching and I do a lot of consuming, but I don't do a lot of doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I try to do a, a 50%, like a create, consume, try to balance the scales because it's, you know, it's fun to just consume. Yeah, yeah but I, I definitely felt like that doing, that cathartic, not really habit, but just that cathartic physical activity of, for you, like making music for three hours, you don't feel as guilty because you're actually doing something almost productive. Yeah, and I feel like communicating ideas, it's, it's for me, it's safer to, to, to write a song about and I don't think most people want to listen to songs about like how the, the world's crazy and all that stuff. But like, I kind of default towards like the heavier kind of like thinky, you know, songs, but, and I, and I do so because I feel like it's a way to kind of purge through the, how you feel about something without just going on a rant after three beers on Facebook where you regret <laughs> it the next day. Like, cause, yeah. cause it takes a while. Like, you, you know, you're, you're about 10 hours in on a song. You're like, I don't know if I still feel this way. Like I'm, this song is going to just have to die on the hard drive. It's a good governor on like not embarrassing. I'm sure, I mean, I've embarrassed myself with songs before, but but less so than Facebook posts. So that yeah, you're not you're not Uncle Jarrett on the the Facebook being drunk and yelling at people, right? Not yet. <laughs> not I yet. Aspi- I aspire to be that. <laughs> uh, I guess I am an uncle. I could do that, but <laughs> I like I like it. I have the credentials. Everybody's got to have goals. Yeah, I think is the the moral of the story. Offend as many people as possible. <laughs> But I, I like that kind of that I, idea of working on a song because that's that's something that you felt, right? And then trying to make that into a project, but then also like working through the feelings of it and just being like, sure. I don't necessarily know if I still feel that way or believe that because while I'm going through this process, something changed or maybe just like that initial burst of energy isn't there. Yeah. Do you feel that often? No, I mean, thankfully not too often. Like usually, I mean, I'm pretty predictable, I guess, in my, my thoughts and moods, but like the, it even translates to like, am I still excited about this? Like, like I think it's, it was, it took me a long time to learn that just because I've spent 20 hours working on a song doesn't mean that anyone else should hear it. You know, it's like, cause (laughs) it, it it could just be terrible. Like it could just be a, a really labored over, non-inspired piece of four minutes you know like it's so to me it's like it's liberating to to be and i think that's what would always was in the back of my head why i always wanted to be able to to record myself because i didn't want to feel like on the clock at a studio because i just know myself i would be like i would get all stressed out and then it would right. like and that's part of like the environment i try to like have here too where it's like you don't you want to be like not stressed and you want to be like fluid and 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 open to just possibility because like nothing good happens artistically when you're when you're stressed or like you know worried and you know it's just not fun yeah but but yeah i, I definitely have songs that where i've spent a lot of time on something and i'm like this just isn't that good like i'm just <laughs> not like and they, you know these lyrics are just weird and like you know i don't know what i was thinking or it's like when you wake up from a dream and it makes sense but then like five minutes later you're eating breakfast you're like what it happened yeah in that dream. like what <laughs> why why was i at a mall on the space station like what <laughs> uh, yeah huh do you think they would have malls on space stations i'll, I'll think about that later that's a that's a, a future thought i think maybe on, on on the trip to mars they'd probably want a food court or something. and it's just sparrows and chick-fil-a but they're still <laughs> yeah. closed on sundays I mean, you know this is dunkin donuts yeah 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 i like that <laughs> it's brought to you by the northeast <laughs> right right everybody's just in a boston accent 
trying to get their Boston cream and, and their, their yeah. fucking coffee or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Fueled by uh, Starbucks. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I like that a lot. Just the, the thought of an actual food court on a space station is just ridiculous to me. I think I have my next song idea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can make a whole life up there. Space station food court. Or it's a good new band name. That is not a bad... Yeah, I like it. Space Station Food Court. I, I dig it. It might be more of an album name, though. I don't know. It's something. It's, it's a project. Something. It's a project. Yeah. How's that? That's Everything's a project. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So my new mixtape for you and just the Suburban Hermit, too. One of the things that you talked about is you're recording yourself, right? Yeah. And just that, that limitation in there and not wanting to feel that at all. Have you found with yourself that once you get to a point, you're just like, this is good enough. I need to release it and stop tinkering with it. Yeah, you could definitely, you can definitely over tinker. Uh, and I used to, I think I used to be more of a guilty of that than I am now. There's a bunch of realizations there where it's like, you know, no one's ever going to listen to it. Like you're listening to it as the person who makes it or has written it or whatever. It's like, and, and knowing that sweet spot, because it can be crippling. It's like the Chinese democracy thing. Do you remember like yeah. the Guns N' Roses yep. like record that yep. I think it came out maybe finally, but like no one, it's like, Jesus, the fatigue, uh, like how could it be good if it, if it took that long? When the pandemic hit, I made a decision to not put out albums anymore. Like I used to put out full length albums. And I think that for a couple of reasons, I just viewed that as like old guard at this point for me mm-hmm. anyway, because like I'm not going to tour, I'm not going to, like there's no point in I don't need a set to play like I don't you know, like I new of new music or so to me it's like I would after doing like three or four records full length records uh, like as my new mixtape I decided to just put out singles or songs you know mm-hmm. because I could react more in real time to something and then get it out sort of when it's when the 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 kind of zeitgeist is still right part of it you know it's like it's part of it's it's meta it's like it's like part of itself at that point. Whereas before it would take like two years to finish an album or something. And the songs you wrote at the beginning just seem like, like they're going to almost like a different language or something. So to me, it became attractive to just write, record, release, then morphed into like, well, I should just call this something different because it's a whole different philosophy. Just, and only I know that like no one else would be like, this is different, (laughs) but like to me, it just, it just helps psychologically for me to, to, to be excited about it. Yeah. It's a new label in your head, right? It's a new, yeah. it's something new and shiny kind of in your head. And, and you can almost see the the sun through the clouds at that point, right? Yeah. And it just felt more honest, like on a, on a weird level. Like I just, Mighty Mixtape has been a thing since, I don't know, like 2008 or seven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, I'm definitely a very different person than I was in 2007. <laughs> so I feel more suburban hermit. I don't leave the house. Right. So. That, that does kind of like uh, summarize this whole year. You know, server yeah. hermit is is pretty good. I like that. I do like, and I I wonder if this is going to be kind of the the main direction that all of music goes in is just doing those small releases and focusing on just that one song, that one product, rather than having to worry about a whole album and picking. Oh, this is the the hit from that album, or this is the the, the fire song from whatever, you know, being able to kind of focus on that one thing and then also looking at it to where I can now, I know that I have this idea for a song, right? 
And now I can plan out kind of the when I'm going to complete it for the most part and then switch to a marketing role too. And I'm just focused on this one song. Is that something that you've thought about? Yeah, and it's definitely more manageable, right? Like, in a, and you can bug people more often about, like, "Hey, check out my new song." Right. And, but I am, I am so bad about the last stage of the, the marketing part. Like, <laughs> that is just like, like I'll do like the obligatory like two or three Facebook posts, and then like email people I think that might dig whatever it is, and then largely I'm just like in on the next thing, like, I, like because my happy place is just the the making part, you know. Like to me, it's like. As long as I, you know, I live another day to make another thing. Like that's that's kind of the way my mo. You know, like I should probably do more due diligence on the on the back end, but it's just not not what I find fun. It's not fun. Trust me, it's not. It's it's not a good time. No, it is something that you have to do. Yeah, and because you have to do it, that passion is never really there. I'm hoping for like a Van Gogh esque trajectory where after I'm dead, my son like like uh, everyone discovers like all my music and then my son makes some sort of financial windfall from <laughs> a lifetime of toiling in the studio. <laughs> well, do you cut your ear now or wait? Oh, I've cut it already. That's, that's why, I, <laughs> you know, just wear the, wear a hat. Um, I've cut both of them. Uh, if I didn't need them, I would. Well, they're just cups, right? Like if you don't, true. if you don't just ruin the insides, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think that's fine. You can make, that'll be great. Yeah, just cut off your ears and then just put cones on them instead. That, that'll that get the sound right in there. Yeah, it might even be better. That might be the evolution of, of production. And it's like a, it'll be a, a new procedure. Have you had the ear job yet? <laughs> no, I'm saving up for it. My insurance doesn't cover it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I just want to, yeah, instead of uh, actual cone heads, it's cone ears. That's, yeah, that's how that I mean, works. it makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could do both. You could do the triple cone. Oh, that would, that would be awkward. Uh, I feel like that. <laughs> I I like that idea though. I just I have this image now of oh man, who was who was the dude that that played in Airheads? Who was the dad? I don't remember. But just his his cone head, and then just two cones coming out of it on either side. Just it's a it's a lovely image. I really like and maybe it. cones for hands as well. At that point, cones for hands. That's that is the the next band name. Cones for hands. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. That is, uh, yeah. And maybe like you, different utensils would pop out of the cone. See, now, now we're thinking now, now we got a project now. Now we have to <laughs> fucking edit. Okay. So hand. you have two, you have two cone hands that shoot one utensil each. You have, so you have two utensils to choose to, to live the rest of your life. Which, which two utensils and which hands do you put them on? Who? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I would assume like fork and knife. See, I would go scissors, spork. Scissors. Scissors on one hand, spork on the other, because the spork is spork is multiple. Yeah, because you can get soup, right? Yeah, it's not the most efficient soup vehicle, but it, it'll get the job done. But scissors, you can cut anything with scissors, huh? You can cut steak, you can cut chicken. Yep, I think spork scissors would be definitely my final answer. Have you thought about this before? No. Okay. Just 20, <laughs> about twenty seconds. This okay. is... <laughs> because so that's a be perfect wrong. answer. No. Okay. I, well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate I, that. Because I'm just thinking. I'm thinking like fork and knife. Yeah, that's so pedestrian. Now I can. <laughs> now, now I have. This is. I'm just thinking like Edward Scissorhands popping out of the right. cones. But okay. Just, I, I didn't think, even think about the Edward Scissorhands reference, but that's probably what was lingering in the in the yeah, back of my yeah. '90s brain. But, uh, uh, 
That's fantastic. I'm sure I'll email you in like a week and be like, I have a totally different answer. Now. <laughs> Please do. Please do. If you think about something in the future, <laughs> let me know. Because I, okay. I, think, I think you might have the perfect combination. And I don't know how I feel about it that I like didn't come up with it myself. And I just got to realize that other people are better than me. And that's the scissors and, and the spork. That's, that's perfect. That's, and if you have... <laughs> so do you have hands still or is it just a cone? No. Okay. Just a, and I think, it, I think it's an inverted cone. So the point is that it goes out and then the thing just pops out of the point of the cone. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking because then you, <laughs> you just fucking put the soup in the cone though. Yeah. Oh, you could. And then, yeah. Well, that's how you would definitely... Uh, beverage that's how you would beverage all right i gotta stop thinking about this because i'm gonna think about that a lot yeah that's no yeah that's definitely a weird weird place to go i just want (laughs) i just want soup in my hand but in a cone now and i don't know how to feel about it okay all right i mean you could do ice ice cream would be easier well is the cone editable well no mm, yeah would it just like grow back like a like a worm (laughs) because with when it's a liquid it's fine because you can just pour that whole thing in your mouth, right? Well, you use the spork to, to scoop out the ice cream. Okay. So does that mean that the ice cream is in the, the, the scissor hand? You, you would have to scoop around the blades, I think. <laughs> Be very careful. Yeah, you can't just put your whole face in it, huh? And you'd have to keep that clean. <laughs> like the scissors would seize up at some point with all of the, the detritus. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's definitely a, oh, what was it? Cones for hands. I'll, all right. Cool. <laughs> That's, that's just going to make me happy for the rest of the day. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that conversation has never happened before. Just, we, just, we, just, we made something new, completely new. That's the, the brilliant thing about coming together with other people, right? It is. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about your, your recording and just kind of the producing aspect of it and then how that may or may not translate to any of the solo projects that you're doing because I, I like the idea of releasing the songs just by themselves and the individual pieces of it. Does any of that translate into how you're treating your artists that you're helping out or producing at all? My goal, if there is like a thing I try to do for every session is just to try to facilitate what the person wants to do, like to make it as easy and as efficient as possible to just kind of, you know, facilitate the end result of their, like their musical goal, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's different for everybody. Uh, there's some commonality, obviously, like you want something that sounds like legit and pro and all that stuff, but like the process can be very different. You know, some people have more of a, you know, like a circuitous kind of like scenic route version of getting there and trying a bunch of stuff and some people right. are more like efficient. So to me, it's really just about figuring out how to best help them get what they want, how they want to get it. That makes it it's kind of a cop out answer, but but that's literally how I kind of approach most sessions of like, you know, cause it, they are also different and it's such a personal thing. And it's, it's, and to me, it's like my, my favorite part is when like, and, and this doesn't always get to happen, but when I get to like play on somebody's record, it's, it's fun because I get to like, I get to think about how to like be a musician through somebody else's voice, which is, which right. I don't get to do as often anymore, which is, uh, you know, something I, I enjoy. Yeah, I think that just like what we were talking about, you know, communicating with other people and getting their ideas versus your ideas and then contributing to a project that they're working on. Like that's that's such a cool thing to be able to do, not necessarily even get your stamp on it, but to just be a part of something that's not just you. 
mm-hmm. is always oh, yeah. always a good feeling. Yeah, and, and on my own stuff, I like I you know the first record or two, like my wife would sing backups and stuff like that. But largely, it was just like a party of one. You know, I would just play all the instruments and stuff, and I still do largely that when I'm making the the stuff. But like, I I love when to have like someone come in and play a guitar solo or have someone come in and sing harmonies or whatever. Just it's like a dash or something to make the the recipe just a little bit more interesting. You can be competent on a bunch of instruments, but ultimately it's like, if, if it is too much of one thing, it's like that. And that is a learning curve too, is to like how to kind of like think like, not like yourself, you know, like make the, right. like do play the bass, like try to like not be yourself on the, you know, on that to kind of like, it's almost like a schizophrenic kind of perspective. And again, with the new moniker, like to me, it helps me get into that headspace of just being like, something that's off just different than I would normally default to. Yeah. I I like that being able to kind of like live in other person's shoes even for a moment. Right. Or get a different perspective even for a moment. Yeah. Is always a really, really good thing for anybody. It's a, yes, it's helpful. Um, just for, yeah, selfishly and just for the greater good, you know, just to, to be empathetic. Now the, the other thing that I think is interesting for you is that you started recording music before you even knew how to really play music. All the instruments is, is probably the, a, a better idea. So now that you're kind of a jack of all trades for the most part, does any of that come into the songwriting for you? Do you, do you think about a song in just a guitar way or do you think about it in a whole composition way? Um, I think I used to approach a song where it would be, I would record like a guitar or a piano part, how, wherever, you know, whatever instrument it was kind of conceived on. I would play the song on that instrument into the software, you know, and it would live like that. And then I would just throw stuff at it and stuff would, some stuff would stick, some stuff would not work. And, and, it used to be this kind of just very like sculpting, you know, and taking stuff off, putting stuff back on. And and that is not an efficient way to do it. You know, that's <laughs> like, it's, it's fun. I'm much more into like doing stuff that's of the moment. And, 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 and now I, I have the experience of having done it for a long time. I don't even record the guitar part or the piano part or whatever is the, the lead or the through line instrument until I have a pretty good ballpark of like, the arc of the dynamics of the whole thing. Okay. And not to say that it's all okay. figured out, but like, like I don't have like a baseline figured out, but I know like where there's going to be base. You have a skeleton or outline, right? Yeah. Much more than I used to. It's, you know, it's, it's still like, I still like to, you know, get lost in the, in the forest, but just, no, I just don't go as deep <laughs> into the forest. <laughs> I like that. You have your home. You can go into the cabin. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's still, <laughs> it's, you know, it's still uh roughing it. Yeah, yeah, I I think they call it glamping. Yes, they do. Which is, I'm not sure how I feel about that word. But <laughs> it's not a good word. No, it makes me feel strange. Like the sound of it is not yeah. pleasant. It just it reminds me of goop for some reason, and I just don't I don't like either of those words. The GP combination, I think, is what is the. Glamping. That might be it. That might be it. Goop. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah, you you can't really camp when you're still in like a whole RV and you have running water like that's how I would want to camp because I I don't believe in not taking showers right but it is definitely not something that if I'm going to go camping I'm just going to be gross for a little bit (laughs) right yeah 
So we're going to um, wrap up with a couple questions if that's cool with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the first one that I want to know is what do you think that you've learned the most about yourself when it comes to your music journey and just growing up with your, with your family and balancing that out too? Because that's such a difficult thing, especially when you go from like a touring musician when you're in a band house to kind of where you're at now. I was, I'm fortunate. Like my wife was always supportive. Like everyone in my life was really supportive, like parents, because it's not like the most sane decision to go like be in a band and tour for 10 years. No, there is an equivalency, I think, to being like some sort of hippie astronaut or something because <laughs> like, you're just like you're just, you know, you're not existing in the confines of reality for a lot of that. And to have people in my life that saw that there was value in it and because it, it also is an education that I don't think you can get any other way right so like i feel like without that experience i wouldn't be at least the version of what i'm doing now it, i would like to think that i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now as well if i didn't if i hadn't had that experience mm-hmm. you know i'm just thankful that the people in my life that had to deal with me doing that were like okay with that and understood that there was a means to an end and that it wasn't just going to be this like ongoing like maybe like 70 years old in a van like in (laughs) Poughkeepsie or something yeah and so now it's like I have literally like I am happy to just be at home and like I love watching the Mandalorian with the family and you know that's just like there's there's like zero part of me that is like resentful that I'm not like playing shows or rocking out like it's to me it's like the mix of studio and kind of a simple family life and just it's it's kind of where I started yeah. like in a weird way and then like full circle kind of back to it again and and but hopefully a smarter version of it you know now but, but yeah i feel very fortunate and just really appreciate that people let me do do that to get to here yeah because i i think it's important to have people that you can kind of fall back on and to just believe in you a little bit mm-hmm. kind of like what we were talking about with the whole social media thing is that you can have that kind of outward acceptance and you can have that feedback right there. But I feel like it always meant more if a real person is telling you something rather than just a post or a comment. Yeah. And just that that piece is is so important. So what do you think that you've learned the most about yourself when it comes to just music in general? It's I definitely feel like it's a continuing, like you're never done. And I think when you think you're done, not that, you know, there's just, there's aside from like, I guess dying, like there's no end. It's like things don't end, you know? It's like, that's why it's so, no one's happy when a TV show ends. Cause it's like ending isn't natural. It's like the things don't just wind up like, you know, at the same time coming to this like period, you know? And uh, so I think that's why it's, it's such a hard thing to do is to, to end something like unnaturally. Yeah. But so, so to me, I don't know, like I, I, I am happy that I can now jettison shitty songs without having to like feel like I've wasted like being upset that I've wasted like however many hours of my time working on something that that you know just didn't end up being that great right and then you know that maybe that the chorus of that song could go on to be something else later or or not maybe there's just nothing maybe it was just like just chasing my tail for 20 hours and that's what it was so that used to make me more upset than it does now <laughs> so I think that's nice to just not you know it's like the killing your darlings thing it's like nothing is sacred it's just it all is you know it could all be gone tomorrow right and it's all just a project that you're working on it's not it's not like your heart 
that you're you're making, right? It's a little bit. It's a little bit of your <laughs> right. Like, you but know, you want, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's like it's you're. There's more of it. It's not like this finite resource that if you don't use it, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's a really good lesson to learn because you can you can work on something for so long, Chinese democracy, twenty hours on a song or whatever, and then just be like, you know what, this just isn't good. Like whatever yeah. direction that I went into just isn't good. So I'm gonna just scrap it instead of like publishing it, and that's okay. Yeah, but I think it's important too because like I take it seriously because it makes me value it more. Um, I, and I, you know, it's like anything. I know most people are. That, that do listen to the stuff I put out. It's you know, it's a very casual experience, and it's, they're not like obsessing over stuff like I do, and <laughs> right, and unless they have like emotional problems or uh, you know mental issues. But the like me, no. Um, but <laughs> like to me, it's just I don't know. It's just to always keep it valuable, you know, just because it is a, it. It's something I've been doing like longer than anything else. Like I've been doing it since I was like, twelve or whatever. So right to me, it's like it's I. I definitely don't know how to not do it anymore. So, and it's it, as far as habits go, it's probably not the worst one. No, I don't think so. Do you think that's what kind of keeps you motivated to continue to pursue it? The habit of it? Yeah, just it always being a part of your life. Yeah, I think I would be a little bit like, like, cause I mean, there's tons of people that, you know, when you get a little older, cause like old people, and by old people, I mean anyone that's not like in their 20s, like, <laughs> right. Cause music is like, you know, the majority of music can, that's made that, that is successful is, made by people in their twenties, you know, it's, and it's, and if there is a, a, a rule, not a rule, but like a generalization is that, you know, there's not much great music that happens from people that when you get to a certain age, because it's, it's, it's harder to make things that relate or, you know, it's like you, it's like the whole thing. If you have your whole life to write your first record, but then every record after that is whatever time since the first record. So it's, it's a different mindset. And to me, I'm just, trying to make music that is sincere and honest for someone who's in my situation that isn't lame. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, <laughs> yeah. to, I just wanted to yeah. not be like dad rock. Right. Right. That's or, what I was just know. thinking of that term. That is yeah. such a, like a, a derogatory term for someone that's like, just trying go. to enjoy their, their mute, their time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there, you know, there's plenty of, there's dad rock that I, that is like, I mean, I think, you know, like, uh, there's, there's music that, that, that you would call dad rock. I feel like it was more like 10 years ago. It's like when that kind of became, yeah. like, uh, you know, at its pinnacle um, to me, it's like, I don't know. Like if that's the worst thing that happens to, to some dude that gets old or, or a girl that gets old and wants to make, I mean, there's mom rock. I'm sure we shouldn't discriminate. <laughs> right. I feel like that's cooler though. Mom rock sounds cooler than dad rock. There's a yeah. certain lameness to dad rock. There's, it's just that image of like, everybody in the garage drinking Bud Light and then playing mm -hmm. guitar or like jamming. Like that's, that's the idea of dad rock. I feel like, and it's just like, dad, you're not cool. Like yeah. your friends are, are lame. We don't yeah. care. I, we don't care about what you did in the eighties or the nineties. <laughs> you're not relevant now. Go home. Well, I think that's why, why it's important to like not be, to, to keep creating because it's, even if it's, you know, not, for the masses or whatever, I feel like you're going to find, like you were saying, like you're going to find people that, that, that are, that respond to the fact that hopefully you're, you're making new music as not someone in their twenties that isn't terrible, you know, that, that, that might have something that might have a perspective that is worth absorbing or, yeah. or paying attention to. I like it, man. All right. I, I think that's it. I appreciate your time. This was fantastic.
Yeah, man. No, I really, I, I sincerely appreciate you having me on. Like it means the world.